My name is Christian Berdahl, and we're going to spend a little over an hour together. And what I'm going to attempt to do, as my friend uh, Neb said, was I'm going to attempt to make sense out of a very large subject. Uh, in fact, the, the, the shortest time I could compact it down for it to still make sense was 12 hours. So our five DVD set is 12 hours of education. And when you go through that course, um, it's amazing how you'll come out on the other end. In fact, we have young people. We've had amazing testimonies of academies, every student buying their own copies so they can take it home and watch it with their parents. Praise God. So I'm going to try to compact this down to a little over an hour, and I'm going to have to move right through. So I'm simply calling this the uh, music overview because we're not going to get through all the material. So let's jump right in. I would like to have an additional word of prayer real quick, though. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would put your hand over this entire seminar. We know that the devil does not want us to chase this rabbit. Lord, I pray that you would please help us to expose the dangers that you have revealed to us in just one area of life, music. And Lord, I ask that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit. Even the samples that we listen to, help us to be educated by them and not entertained. In Jesus' name, we plead for the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, a couple big questions in the Christian world. And one is, is music moral or amoral? So, there are proponents on one side saying, doesn't matter what we listen to, music is amoral. Others say, no, wait a minute, music is moral, and it does matter what we listen to. So are both sides right? The reality is, no, they're not. Another big question that we have is, is it just the lyrics that matter most, or is it the music bed that matters most? So we have two main questions. Is it moral or amoral? And is it the lyrics or the music bed that matters most? So we're just going to take two of the questions out of the entire seminar, and we're just going to look at that today. So let's see what some people in the contemporary Christian music movement say. Sandy Patty, music is a very powerful force. It has a way of breaking down barriers. Is she right? Absolutely. But a lot of artists are taking that very powerful tool and putting negative, horrible lyrics to it, and those lyrics are getting into the hearts of the listeners and shaping their values. Is she correct there as well? Yes. Why can't we, for example, contemporary Christian musicians, take that same powerful force music and put positive lyrics to it and begin shaping values that way? Is there anything wrong with what she's saying? No. However, she's limiting what she's saying. What's she limiting it to? She is limiting it to the lyrics. And that is what most every single contemporary Christian music artist does. They say, it doesn't matter the music bed, what style it is, it's just the actual lyrical content that matters. David Meese, another CCM artist, uh, back in the uh, 80s and early 90s, he says this, basically you have to focus on the lyrics and what the song is saying. That is my criteria to decide whether the song is right or wrong. It has nothing to do with the music style, it has to do with the lyrics, what the song is saying, what are the words saying. As Christians, we can objectively judge it from that standpoint. Again, this is the mantra, it's only the lyrics, and if you have Jesus lyrics, it doesn't matter what type of music you listen to. Now, conversely, we can look at someone like Professor Marshall McLuhan, 
And he has a very different view on this. Now understand that his work is viewed as the, one of the cornerstones, uh, 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 cornerstones work on media. He's a professor, philosopher, and a scholar. He's no longer with us. But here's what he said. The medium is the message. That is to say, the music, its melody, harmony, and rhythm all by itself disposes a man to virtue or vice by moving the emotions. Okay, so we have one side, the Christians saying, no, it's just the lyrics. Then we have uh, academia and science saying, no, it's the way that the actual music, the melody, harmony, and rhythmic structures alone move the man. And they're even using the word virtue or vice by moving the emotions. Therefore, the way in which they move the passions should serve as a principal basis for judgment on whether any given piece of music is good or bad. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is, it has nothing to do with the lyrics. It actually has to do everything with the music bed. Brain specialist Dr. Richard Pellegrino said, he said that he declared that music had the uncanny power to, quote, trigger a flood of human emotions and images that have the ability, listen, to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. So he's saying, instantaneously, music can change emotional states. Take it from a brain guy, in 25 years of working with the brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way one simple song can. So what he's saying is, the music is so powerful, I can change, as a scientist, I can change the emotional state of a person quicker than if I go through even a therapy session with them. Maybe they're sad and depressed. Instead of talking for an hour and spending $150, let me to play a happy song. I can change your emotional state like that. And that's powerful. In fact, music is medicine, and we'll get into that a little bit as we progress. So, can music alone influence the listener? Let's do an experiment. I'd like you to close your eyes in just a moment. And when you close your eyes, I want you to listen to the music, to the piece of music I'm going to play. And then when we're done, I want you to raise your hand and tell me as I call on you how that made you feel. Are we ready? Okay, close your eyes. Okay, someone raise your hand and tell me how that made you feel. Yes. Happy. Happy. Okay. Happy. Yes. Playful. Yes. Carefree. Carefree. Now, listen to this. I'm a prophet. Watch. Ready? You were going to say happy and fun. <laughs> now, how did I know that? Am I a prophet? No, I'm not. Not even a son of a prophet. But how did I know this? I knew this because music is a language. And if you simply understand the language, you'll know what everyone's going to feel. So is this moving our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts? Indeed it is. Okay, let's, let's close our eyes again. Ready? Here we go. We're going to do this again. Close your eyes. I said close your eyes. Okay, here we go. Ready? Okay, raise your hands, how'd that make you feel? Yes. Unsettled, yes. Chills up and down your spine, yeah, you and me both, yes. Cautious, yes. Sad, anyone else, yes. 
Something bad was going to happen. Isn't that amazing? From young to old, we're all going, ee! How'd that make you feel? Fearful. Look, at, isn't that incredible that we all knew that that was eerie, it was scary, it was fearful, that something bad was going to happen? I'm sorry, what lyrics told you to feel that? Hmm, that's interesting. There's no lyrics. You see, music is a language and we respond to it. What's interesting is, I w we don't have time to get into it, but if you go around the world, and they have, when you look at color and listen to music, everybody responds, neurologically speaking, identically. Now, emotionally, we might respond a little differently, but even pretty much, not exclusively, pretty much universally, everyone even responds emotionally the same to music. Isn't that amazing? One more, ready to go, here we go. Close your eyes, one more. Okay, now, without raising your hands, give me a verbal expression on the count of three of how that made you feel. One, two, three. Ah, amen? Isn't that amazing? And that's nothing you probably didn't know, but there was no lyrics there that said, please feel relaxed. You're being relaxed. Relax your toes. It didn't say any of that. You just started to relax. And so, neurologically speaking and physiologically speaking, we react largely the same way. Peaceful, tranquil. Dr. Norman N. Weinberger, professor of neurobiology and behavior at UC Irvine, his research confirms that, quote, music can rapidly and powerfully set moods and do so in a way not easily attained by other means. Now, what's amazing is science is finding out, wow, music is so powerful. It can set moods and trigger an, a, a flood of emotions even like that. Now, let's bring it all together. The question is, were your thoughts being impressed and influenced by the music, yes or no? Yes. Were your feelings being impressed by the music, yes or no? Yes. Let's tie it together with the Spirit of Prophecy statement. Review and Herald, April 21, 1885. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the what? Moral character. Okay, did you catch that? You see, what that's saying is the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. Therefore, if we're listening to things that shape our emotions and our thoughts, therefore, music is very moral. Amen? It's really that easy. If it's shaping our thoughts and our emotions, our feelings, then it becomes a very moral component. So for anyone to make the claim and the argument that music is amoral, of no moral weight or value or, or anything in our lives, it is a careless and reckless statement for those who are educated on the subject scientifically and biblically and by the spirit of prophecy, then we know that that statement is not true. Music is very moral. If it moves me to satanic influence and action, it's very moral. If it moves me toward uh, wanting to be with God and something that's uplifting and ennobling and edifying, it's very moral. Amen? 
When we decide that as Christians we are not required to restrain our thoughts and feelings, it doesn't matter what I listen to. I can listen, as long as that's Jesus lyrics and it's called Christian music, I'll listen to whatever I want. I don't need to restrain my thoughts and feelings. Let it go. Wait a second. According to the prophet, not Christian Berdahl, when we decide that as Christians we are not required to restrain our thoughts and feelings, we are brought under the influence of evil angels. And we invite their presence and their control. So what can we say about this? Does this, if we actually interpret this, it doesn't even need interpretation, it's clear. But let's read what it's actually saying and apply it to music. If we're saying, I can listen to whatever I want or watch whatever I want, don't apply it just to music. These principles are, are universal in our walk as Christians. The reality is, if we're not restraining those thoughts and we're just allowing the music to take us wherever and it's inappropriate, we are brought under the influence of evil angels. Is that what it says? Yeah. And we invite their presence and control. In other words, possession. I don't want that by the devil. I'd love to be possessed by God. I am his possession. Amen. So did God create music to influence our thoughts and feelings? Yes or no? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong if a piece of music actually influences you and touches your emotions. We just need to be careful of what it's doing. I know people that when they're sad, they'll listen to sad music. Right? Anybody ever, come on, be honest with me. If you've had your heart broken, you've been depressed, you've been sad, have you ever listened to sad music? What is wrong with us? Wouldn't you think the antidote is what we should have? Happy, if you're sad, listen to happy, amen? But we're like, no, misery loves company, amen? And the little poor young ladies or even older ladies, like, oh, he broke my heart, he stabbed my heart with a knife. And then we listen to music and go, put 10 more knives in. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> we're just killing ourselves, emotionally speaking. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? You see, we're not even using music in a way that's healthy. We got to be careful. Has Satan left music alone? Absolutely not. If we think that God, Satan has left the music alone, we are so deceived and naive, it's, it's, it's not even funny. The reality is, the devil has not left music alone. He's gotten in and he's messed with a whole bunch of it. The Enjoyment of Music, an amazing book um, written by Joseph uh, Michaelis. Here's what he says. Rhythm is the element of music most closely allied to body movement, fleshly carnal, to physical action. Its simpler patterns, when repeated over and over, which is exactly what rock does, can have a hypnotic effect on us. The power of sound, they've also shown, study and research has shown, that driving drum rhythms in excess of three or four beats per second will put a, the brain into a state of stress, regardless if the listener likes or dislikes the music. When the brain is in a stressful state, so it doesn't matter that maybe emotionally we're responding to this music. Yeah, we like how this, yeah, oh yeah, you know. But our brain is actually being assaulted, okay? It's saying regardless if the listener likes or dislikes the music, when the brain is in a stressful state, it will release opioids, a group of hormones that function like morphine to help return itself to 
normal equilibrium. So what's happening is we're, the brain and the physiology that we each have is sensing that it's being uh, assaulted and agitated. And as a result, the two hemispheres, if you will, it, this is actually what happens, come out of balance and they're agitated one with another. The body's like, whoa, what's, what's, what's attacking? What's, what's assaulting us? And so it releases this hormone that acts like morphine. And guess what happens? Ah, uh, ah, uh, okay. So even if we're listening to hard music, we're actually getting a morphine hit. In fact, that's what happens. These opioids, when experienced often enough, can be addicting. And the listener seeks for the, quote, high again. This is why listeners tend to move from less to harder music. It starts with soft rock, and you get that, oh, because it's still agitating. It's soft. No. Fit. Maybe emotionally and orally, we're saying, oh, that's softer music. But neurologically speaking and physiologically speaking, it's actually still perceived as an assault. The brain doesn't like it. And there's reasons why, which we can't get into today, but we get into it in the 12-hour version of the seminar. So what happens is you get this stress, and, and we're being assaulted, and we release this morphing, this, this, these opioids. So the problem is... What happens is over time, we become addicted to this feeling and we go from less music to harder music to get the same effect. On top of this, the steady drum rhythms release in the body gonadotrophins, which are sex hormones, which enhance sexual arousal. Now, as a Christian, should we be careful with what we allow into our bodies. Let's say you could take a drug and it enhanced sexual arousal. There are some out there. Now, if you are a single man, would it be wise for you to be popping those pills? Yes or no? No. If you're a young person, would it be wise to let your teenagers pop the pill and they walk around sexually aroused? Guess what? Music, wrong kinds of music, is the pill. And if we're listening to the wrong kinds of music with the heavy drums and syncopation and the rhythms, which we're going to get into in just a moment, it will release not only the, that, that opioid uh, and have that morphine hit, it will also release the gonadotrophins. So here we have young people who are saying, keep yourself pure, but we allow them to listen to stuff that imbues them chemically with sex hormone. It's, it's, music can be your best friend, or it can be your worst enemy. Are you getting that? Does that make sense? Okay. Continuing on. Loud, booming bass music has a similar effect, and it's no wonder that adolescent males prefer these types of music. They're either stimulating a release of brain chemical, stimulating hormones, or both. Eh, my children, 12 and 14. My children don't get to listen to this junk. No way. It's hard enough to be a Christian in this 2012. It is. Have you figured that one out? It's tough. It's, it's much harder to be raised as a Christian today than it was just 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, you realize 20 years ago, there's no internet. Now, with my smartphone, I can look at and, and listen to anything and everything I want right through the airwaves. The prince of the power of the airwaves. <laughs> That's what the devil's called. Now, music serves a purpose. This is important to put into our minds. Messages to Young People 291. The history of the songs of the Bible is full of suggestions as to the uses and benefits of music and song. Rightly employed. That means music could be 
not appropriately employed. Amen? Rightly employed, it is a precious gift of God, designed by a designer, and his name is Jesus Christ, designed to uplift the thoughts to high and noble themes, to inspire and elevate the soul. So if we're listening to something that goes against the original design that God had planned, then we're using music in a way that he never planned for us to use it. Make sense? So we're going to do a quick little history, very quick history. We're going to start in the 1450s, we'll go to 1960s, and we're just going to be done with it. Normally in the seminar, we spend three hours... I'll spend about eight minutes with you on our history. But we spend three hours going through an audible history from 450 B.C. all the way through to 2012. And yes, we bring in all the Justin Biebers and the, and the Taylor Swifts and all these, these new artists that are out here. And we, we go through it methodically. And I'll tell you what, it's funny because each genre of music, I see the old people when we get to the 40s or the 50s, they're like, oh, hey, and they're pumping each other. You know, I remember that song or whatever. And we get to 60s, 70s, and then you get into the 80s and you see people my age going like this. And then you get into the Justin Bieber and like, oh, no, don't play that now. And they're all going like that with each other. So this music seminar it's going to step on everybody's toes, just let you know, including mine. So let's look at the Renaissance real quick. 1450 to 1600. Renaissance simply means rebirth, and many changes in the way that music was being created began. Composers concerned themselves with three areas of music, sacred, secular, and instrumental. So I'd like to play a sacred piece of music for you from the Renaissance age. seatbelts, put them on. We're going to play some secular music from that age. What are you giggling about? No. That's secular music from Renaissance time. Do you get the point? Music was very similar, and it served a purpose. Even the secular music was being largely composed by those who were employed by the church. And the reality is it served the purpose that God had set aside for this music. Over time, we've changed the use of it. Back then, all the music was similar in nature, shared smooth, gentle rhythms and melodies and balanced phrases. So now, at this time in Earth's history, there was really no, uh, uh, there was no founded America yet. So this was all European music. And when America was founded, what ultimately happened was when, when uh, they came to the New World, they brought, of course, the European music and the, basically the classical type genre of music along with them. And... What happened was, as America began to be developed and founded, different genres began to develop, which we don't have time to go into here. Um, and then in the 1800s in America, as America began to develop even more, a blight on our history is slaves from Africa were sold to white merchants in North America. They brought with them from Africa their ritualistic religious practices known as voodoo, heavily wrapped around tribal drums. Now, understand... The reason we talk about this is because America became a melting pot for a music explosion. 
And eventually, we began to export around the world our new music, and everybody went crazy over it. Now, it happened in America, it happened in Europe, we'll be talking about that. If it happened with some other, with the Mexican group or Asian groups, we'd be talking about that. So the reality is we're not down on the Africans. The reality is we are simply showing the history and how it happened. Are you all with me? Do you understand this? Yes, okay. Now, an expert, John H. Steele, in his book, he's an occult expert, um, and a pagan uh, religion expert. Here's what he says in his book, The World of the Unexplained. The follower of voodoo seeks to incorporate Allah, a lesser god, into himself. When I was over in, um, where was I? I was in Sweden. We had um, uh, a, a, the African conference president there with us, and we were, I was teaching this for 10 days. And he came up to me afterwards and said, Oh, Christian, please, 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 please come to Kenya. Please, I need you to teach this. Why? Because everything I was saying, he said, that is exactly right. So he says, The follower of voodoo seeks to incorporate Allah, a lesser god, into himself by writhing and leaping through a dance, while drums bang out complex rhythms. There's a key. When just the right rhythm is found for an individual Allah, or we would call this a demon, by the way, the dancer takes it up and the demon enters his soul. The religion is strictly Dionysian. In other words, very sensual. In fact, three things you will always find in pagan rites or ritualistic services. You will always find three things. You will find drugs, mind-altering drugs. You will find polyrhythmic music or complex rhythmic music. And you will always find sex. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You ever heard that term? Interesting. Anyway, so what happens is, in fact, do you know where rock and roll got its name from? You happen to know that, that little tidbit? Does it have great, healthy, wonderful roots? No. You know what happened was eventually this explosion of this blending of some American uh, Caucasian, quote-unquote, music and this new African music started to come together and they started to develop blues and rhythm and blues and before you know it, we, we birthed into this thing that was called rock and roll. Well, there was a DJ that, that came up with the term rock and, ro rock and roll. And what basically he found was these young people were listening to this new kind of music, this new style of music, and it was causing them to engage in things in, inappropriately, intimately, sexually with their significant other in the backseat of their parents' car, causing the car to rock and roll. Hello? A little bit of information. I got to move on. Dr. Richards Hodges, he continues on, the drummers often shuffle their feet or sway their bodies in dance-like motions to assist them in maintaining contact with the main beat, especially when the rhythm is syncopated. We spend a lot of time on this as well in the seminar, uh, the full seminar, but I, I'll have to just give you a quick little verbal illustrations right now. Syncopation is such a, what's that mean? Listen, I'm going to tell you first of all, syncopation is not of the devil. Okay? Some of you conservatives can throw me out, but hear me out before you do. Syncopation is not of the devil. Syncopation is like seasoning to a meal. And if you, who would like seasoning on their meals? Absolutely. We love that, right? But who likes dumping the whole salt shaker on their meal? No takers. Why? What does it do to the meal? Ruins it. Syncopation in a song is appropriate only in little dashes here or there if we use it at all. 
like seasoning a meal. Now, what is syncopation? Well, in normal music, if we had, say, common time or 4-4 time, and the accent was on the one beat, we'd have something like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is 4-4 common time with the accent on the one. In fact, if you even wanted to play a snare drum and wanted to beat that snare drum, it would be fine. <gasps> Christian Bredov just said drums were okay. Yep, I did at ASI, uh-huh, I did. But I'm also educated on the subject and you can't refute what I'm about to tell you. So the reality is you can play like even a march type music. Right? A march, a drum march, a cadence. Bum, 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 bum. It's on the one and on potentially the three. Jesus, okay, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Like a little, a little kid would sing it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells, right? That's on the one and the three. It's natural. Now, watch what happens if instead of going, Jesus loves me, this I know, all we have to do is shift it from the one to the two. Watch this. Jesus loves me, this I know, oh, for the Bible tells me so, oh, little ones to him belong. Did, I mean, did you hear that difference? Let's shift it to the three. Jesus loves me, this I know, oh, for the Bible tells me so, oh, little ones to him belong. Let's shift it to the four. This one's a little harder for me. Jesus loves me, this I know, oh, for the Bible tells me so, oh. So all we did was went from Jesus, I'm sorry, when you do so many in a row, it gets a little bit difficult. But the reality is we shifted the accent from the one and three to either the two, three, or four. And when you start messing with all of that, that is what we call syncopation. Now, in one of my songs on my holiday album, I have Joy to the World on there. And there is a spot where we have syncopation, but it's a dash. The problem comes in when what we want to do is, because we can add interest and energy to a piece of music if we put a little here and a little there. Does that make sense? Please understand that. But what the devil has done is he said, hey, let's take the syncopation, which short circuits the prefrontal cortex, the frontal moral lobe, puts you in an alpha brain pattern, and whatever information's coming in goes in without being discerned at the time. <laughs> Did you know that? the polyrhythmic elements actually short-circuit the frontal part of the brain. So whatever information's coming in, and even when certain movies are edited and TV programs are edited, you will go into a short-circuited pattern. Uh, uh, in your, it's not short-circuited, but that's the easiest way to describe it. And what happens is you go into an alpha pattern, and you're not critically, dynamically analyzing incoming information. So how scary is that if you're listening the wrong or watching the wrong kind of stuff, and you're sitting there going, uh, it's just going right in, changing our what? Character. So, the drummers often shuffle their feet, and we just read this, when the rhythm is uh, incorporated, syncopated. Now, let's tie this together. So the syncopation is messing with the accent. I know this is a quick explanation. It's almost like we're opening a bigger can of worms. Get the DVD, it'll explain it for you. It's not a sales pitch, it's a tool. Amen? 
All right. During these rituals that still take place in the Congo and Yorubaland, the intricate layers of multiple rhythmic drumming are considered the primary source of what? Heavenly power? Occult power. So what they've discovered is it is the multiple, the polyrhythmic levels and, and complex rhythms that are being banged out. And friends, it doesn't matter what, I have a slide that I usually show, I can show you around the world from Japan to Europe to America, Native Indians, we in those pagan, the part of the pagan cultures, every single one of them had the polyrhythmic elements, no matter where it came from. So it's, it's not an African problem. It's a worldwide problem. Amen? It is. Now, we're going to listen to some actual voodoo samples. This is actual voodoo right here. Ding, ding. Here's another one, a little more modern, still voodoo though, we're going to come back to this one, right, how about this one, now this is modern, right off of iTunes. I don't know what they're saying, but I don't want to know. Actual voodoo. That is the source of occult power right there. So now what we do is we just take that, package it up, put some different lyrics on it, and now the 50s explode. In the 1840s, a lot of Africans started turning to Christ and were allowed to have their own churches. Some turned away from drums completely, praise God. Others unfortunately incorporated them into their new faith. They would sing the same hymns as the Caucasians, but with shouting and beating out counter rhythms on tambourines, gourds, or logs. That would be syncopated rhythms. Eventually, this brought about what we know as the Holy Flesh Movement. Now listen, congregates still sought for possession, only now it was called the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? So now, instead of trying to be possessed by a lao or by, by a demon, now we just bring it into the church service, and now we want to be possessed by the Holy Ghost. We flip around on the floor, we talk in tongues, we do all this kind of... Anybody getting this? Wow. Isn't that interesting? It's the same as the pagan worshipers. It's just now done in God's house. And it's called the Holy Ghost. We're going to come back to this. And then we have this guy comes on the scene. His name is Aleister Crowley. Arr, you're right. Mm -mm -mm. He founded the religious philosophy of Thelema. And he claims that there was this entity named Iolus that came to him and told him how to write this particular book of the law. And in the book of the law... This would be the root of Satan, the satanic church, by the way. And you'll see that in a little bit. It states, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So this is the law. Do whatever you want. That's the law. Do whatever you want. Did you know that that was the law? Not according to God. Amen. Because the Lord says not, we should say to him, not our will, but yours be done in heaven and on earth. And in my iPod. And on my TV. Amen. Not my will, but yours be done. The satanic philosophy is absolutely opposite of that. 
It's do whatever you want to do no matter what anyone says. Don't worry about it. Do you see the dichotomy? Do you see the opposing sides here? This is very interesting. He desired to use music to bring on the new age, the whole dawning of the age of Aquarius in the 60s and 70s. And this really might blow your mind if you know your spirit of prophecy. He desired to use, quote, an army of youth to indoctrinate with, do what thou wilt. Direct quote from his own book. He wants to indoctrinate our young people. And you used to be a young people, some of you. And he wants to indoctrinate us all. And he wants to help each one of us to become his disciples, not the disciple of God. And then we have these guys. What happened is this is the combination of the, those African rhythms that we talked about and this now do what thou wilt philosophy. So what happened is we, we actually have the, the uh, bringing together the synthesis of these two cultures and eventually it births groups like Bill Haley and the Comets. In, in 1954, they began writing hit songs, and they were a white band, quote-unquote, using, quote, black-derived forms. They ventured into rock and roll. So now what we do is we introduce other instruments like the rhythm guitar. So now any instrument, by the way, could be played inappropriately with syncopation, with polyrhythmic elements. So now they just bring in a rhythm, rhythm guitar. Even the way that Bill Haley sings this next song we're going to listen to, even the way that he sings it is polyrhythmic in nature. Now, something we need to understand. In the tribal setting, there was a group of people that would actually play all these drums. Don't have time to get into all the history, but here's how it works. Eventually, a contraption set was developed that allowed, we know it today as a trap set. It allowed one person to sit on what's actually called the throne, yikes, but sit on the throne, and they could actually, with four limbs now, play what it took a tribe to play before. Don't miss that. They could play all the polyrhythmic syncopated beats with one person now on a trap set. So what they could do is get us to the place to where we were seeking that higher experience now even in our music. And we think that we're, we're going somewhere that's really amazing. And we don't realize that, oh, we're, we're not going somewhere. We're going with someone that's possessing us. That's heavy, I know but you need to study it out. The reality is this can be a very dangerous thing, friends. It can also be the most amazing blessing. The devil is working the most where he can snag the most people. So in the 50s and 60s and 70s, music had become altogether different than what God had intended. The drug scene, the rebellion, and total disregard for any sort of authority was in full bloom, and the music ventured openly into eventually glorifying the devil. We'll get to that in just a moment. So One, two, you might have heard this before. Rock. Five, six, Listen to the polyrhythmic elements rock. coming. Nine, 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, rock, we're going to rock. Around Listen. polyrhythmic but that's fun Christian I'm sorry I agree I used to listen to a lot of 50s music a lot of 60s music a lot of 70s music I, I actually really preferred the the 40s and 50s 
But the problem is, while emotionally we may respond in one way, neurologically and physiologically we respond very differently and it is dangerous for us. So, do what thou wilt is in full broom. We'll decide what goes on. We will decide what we do, what we smoke, what we listen to. Um, we'll decide how we dress, how we talk, how we act, where we go. And do what thou wilt eventually became do your own thing. You see, it's the philosophy of the devil, just a little bit different verbiage. Isn't that interesting? The youth became emboldened in this revolutionary rebellion. Do what thou wilt permeated this era, especially we got into the 60s and into the 70s. Before you know it, you didn't even, you, didn't, you were questioning anybody and everybody and you weren't following anyone. And some of the satanic, um, what would be the word, elements in certain groups were hidden. For instance, in the Beatles, which we don't have time to get into. We spend quite a bit of time with the Beatles. But the reality is the Beatles were offered up by the same music company as the Rolling Stones. The same company, same label, served up both groups. Here's one platter. If you're in over-rebellion, you want to listen to this kind of music, here's the Rolling Stones. But if you're the good kids, you can listen to the Beatles, because after all, all they want to do is hold your hand, right? In fact, it starts out, they're using, they're even wearing uh, black suits and black ties, man. They had, they had dress reform going on. And they just, wanted, they just had fun music, right? Well, their music started to turn very dark as well. And we have a lot of information on the Beatles, and I'm sorry to say, they don't pass the test. But let's listen to this. Now, this wouldn't take much imagination to wonder where the Rolling Stones are coming from because their, their title song on this album is entitled Sympathy for the Devil. Does the devil need sympathy? No, he doesn't at all. Now, follow along with these lyrics and listen to how the song starts out. You tell me what this is. What's that? Pure voodoo. You never knew it before. Yeah. Now follow these, listen. Okay, bye-bye prefrontal <laughs> cortex. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of will and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul to face. Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Me damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. said by my elder sister that knows what's up. Listen, tell me that God intended that kind of music. No way. no way. The reality is it's been used by the devil to propagate his ideas and to force our conversion. That's blasphemous. Su Ching, 6th century BC, for changing people's manners, by the way, People have known this for an awful long time. For changing people's manners and customs, there is nothing better than music. And Anton LaVey knew that. And he picks up Crowley's torch and established the official Church of Satan. He wrote the 
Satanic Bible. And in Crowley's book, in the Satanic Bible, it says, excuse me, Crowley's Do What Thou Will is the Whole of the Law is actually the Church of Satan's official philosophy and doctrine now. So you notice here on the, it's kind of hard to make out on this screen, but this here is called the Sigil of Baphomet. And this is an upside down pentagram, and you have the horns of a goat, the ears, and the chin. This is a satanic symbol. It's the symbol of the devil himself. In fact, this is the symbol of the devil, or like this, like that. That's the devil. That's the horns right here. And that's what that means. That is not, not I love you. That's different, right? You got I love you. But this is the symbol of the devil. What disgusts me is you can go to many different Christian, Christian concerts and, and kids and the singers are throwing the devil signs and some of them don't even know what they're doing. I guarantee you. I've been doing concerts now for 12 years. I've never had anyone throw a devil sign in my concerts. Why? Because the music doesn't have the satanic body language. Hello? Amen. LaVey says, let's get them to a place where they forget their logic. And this is where we have logical thinking in our prefrontal cortexes, which, by the way, we spend over an hour just talking about the brain and how it works. Let's get them to a place where they forget their logic and just do what thou wilt. That's what's wrong with these polyrhythmic elements in the syncopated music that we're listening to is it takes that prefrontal cortex, tosses it over to the side, and now we just do whatever we feel like we want to do. Now, this is very interesting. This is an article called High Tech and the Low Frequencies. Reporter Jason Sneed wrote about the huge club and DJ scene, and he wrote about DJ uh, Lauren, or AKA Bass Nectar. A Bass Nectar represents the wave of DJ success, playing amazing sets to dance floors throughout North America and beyond. Bass Nectar's shows have the future primitive feel of all-out revelry resulting from the tribal unity of audience involvement. Basically, what you could say is what he's saying here is when this guy plays his mixes, um, it goes tribal. Now, let's listen. This will amaze you. Remember this voodoo clip? We played that one first, our second. I was putting this seminar together with the Lord's direction. I have a, a piece of uh, audio editing software called Pro Tools. And I had one track, and I put in this clip right here. And this is bass nectar music. This is club stuff, right? I'm doing all that kind of stuff. So, well, think about this. How many, how many clubs do you think play Mozart? <laughs> well, why not? Because Mozart leaves your brain intact, this stuff doesn't, and so all of a sudden you start drinking, because that also messes with the frontal lobe. Before you know it, you're uttering perverse things and beholding strange women. Well, the Bible says it. So God said this, play this music, now on another track, put that voodoo over it and see what happens, and does it line up? I'll point when the voodoo comes in. You tell me.
Do I need to say any more? That's voodoo laid over modern voodoo. In the 80s, music became much more sexual in content. And do what thou wilt became live and let live. Same philosophy. Who, who lived under live and let live, do your own thing? We all have if we were a little bit older. But it's the same devilish philosophy. In the 90s, the, the content became very explicit. And warning labels for the first time were put on albums saying contains explicit material. That had never happened before. Some little bit in the 80s. But we had never before that had explicit content. And then the 2000s brought us people like Marilyn Manson. Now, this rocker man, he took two of his idols, their names, Marilyn Monroe, took her first name, and Charles Manson, the massacre man, and put his name together, Marilyn Manson. Here's what he says. I don't know if anyone has really understood what we're trying to do. 